Scientism's metaphysics is simple and unqualified, writes philosopher Alex Rosenberg. The physical facts fix all the facts. The universe is fermions and bosons, and everything that can be made up of them, and nothing that can't be made up of them. Close quote. From Wyoming Catholic College, this is the After Dinner Scholar Podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Jim Tonkowicz. Whether it's fermions and bosoms, or air, earth, fire, and water, or nothing but water, the question, what is the world, has a long history, and there have been many answers. Wyoming Catholic College freshmen discover the many answers in Philosophy 102, which is going on this semester. Dr. Henry Zepeda has been teaching them the philosophy of nature and the material world, and I asked him why students journey through philosophy begins there. So we start with a general study of nature. We're going to get to more specific things in our philosophy track and in our science track. We'll get to uh, studying relativity, studying the development of celestial mechanics and terrestrial mechanics as well. We'll study the soul. But before we get to those more particular things, we start off with a class that studies the very general things. So we spend a lot of time thinking about what are the principles of physical material things and uh, what does it mean to say that things have a nature. And then we get into a lot of the uh, concepts that help us make sense of a thing's nature, like uh, the four causes, well, we talk about what motion is. We talk about why, why we think that things have final causes or, or, uh, or purpose, right? So that's where we start our philosophy of nature program here with a semester devoted to these very general topics. And that starts with the pre-Socratics. Mm -hmm. Who are the pre-Socratics and what did they have to say about the nature of physical reality? Mm -hmm. The pre-Socratics are Greek philosophers who came before Socrates and Plato, so from about 600 BC to about 400 BC, or a little before then. And uh, they are, I think, really fun and fascinating. We only have fragments of most of their works, uh, so we don't have complete works by them. We just have a few sentences written by them. And we have to try to put together what they were thinking, put together their philosophy from these, little, these few fragments, which I think is always just a fun challenge. But they're also, they're trying to make sense of the world without being able to rely upon anybody else's work before them. So they come out with some, with some pretty crazy ideas, uh, but really fascinating. And struggling with some, they struggle with some really difficult problems. So we start with Thales, who says that everything is made out of water and that everything is full of gods, which actually is not a horrible first start at explaining the universe, basically explaining where all these different things come from. Water goes through all sorts of changes. So to think of some water-like substance that could explain why we have hard things, why we have liquid things, why we have soft things, why we have gaseous things. It seems a reasonable 
a reasonable explanation and the tendency to say, well, how do we explain everything? Well, there's one thing that it's all made out of that also seems to be a, a fairly reasonable place to go. He, he has other claims such as all things are full of gods. And that actually has a lot of truth to it. Everything has something within it that makes it act the way it does. And if you're not quite sure, if you're thinking about this for the first time, call it, using the word gods seems a reasonable word to use. Democritus in particular seems to have been quite modern in his outlook. Tell us about him and how the students respond to what he has to say. Democritus was one of these early Greek philosophers who thought that everything was made up of atoms and void. So you have just matter that is stuff that is in uh, different shapes and sizes, and you have it floating around in empty space. And these atoms clump together and form bigger things. This idea that everything's made up of atoms makes uh, a lot of sense to us as modern people. There's a, well, now we see that there's at least some truth to it. And uh, it also was a solution to a problem that a lot of the pre-Socratics were trying to solve, which is basically how could you get something come into being? If something comes into being, then before it was, either it was or it wasn't. If it was, you don't need it to have any, uh, you don't really have a coming into being. You just have the thing was there and now it's still here. Or if you have nothing beforehand, well, why does nothing, how, do, how could nothing do something to turn into something? Right? Nothing is nothing, so it can't do that. Uh, so if you say that there are these atoms that have just always existed, but they're clumping together in bouncing together into new arrangements, then you get an explanation for the world that doesn't violate that principle of, of something coming from nothing. But it could explain why we think that we see new things come into being. Because these new things that we see coming to coming into being, uh, a cow, a cat, a cat, or a rock, they are just a new combination of the always existing atoms. So when somebody says that the world is nothing but fermions and bosons, it's really kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's this tendency among the pre-Socratics, a lot of the pre-Socratics, and especially Democritus, to break things down and understand things by smaller and smaller material things. Uh, but ultimately, this isn't that satisfying, because if the real things are these most basic particles, whatever they are, then what are these larger conglomerations of them? If they are just clumps of those particles, then uh, it doesn't seem to explain the world as we experience it. We don't, we experience the world where I am a real being and I came into existence a few, well, maybe not more than a few decades ago. Okay, then, then we they move on to Plato. What does Plato add to this argument? Mm -hmm. Yes, we read Plato and we see something that's been missing from the pre-Socratics. We see that that there hasn't been any purpose. There's no room for in these explanations to explain the order, the purpose, and consciousness. A purely materialistic theory is not going to, to really 
explain those things fully. And we see Plato saying, I do not want explanations that just talk about the material. I want explanations that also talk about the purpose. Um, we read a bit from the Phaedo where Socrates is sitting in his jail cell about to be executed. And he says, the sorts of explanations that the pre-Socratics have given are, are, are like if somebody asked, why are you in this cell right now? If, if, they, if they, the answer was Socrates is sitting in the cell right now because, well, he has legs that have bend at the knees and he has certain tendons and muscles and the, he also can bend at the waist. That doesn't really answer the question. Uh, the, a real answer is he's there because he has decided that he is going to face his execution and not run away from it. Uh, the purpose there is, is something that's essential to a full explanation of what's going on. And he's, he thinks that this extends into the natural world as well. It's not something that just pertains to human affairs, but in the natural world, to give full explanations of it, we need to also include the purpose. And then after Plato comes Aristotle and through Aristotle, Thomas Aquinas. How does that fill out what our students understand? So with Aristotle, I think we get a few things. Uh, we get a way of, of understanding substances, the things we see around us as being the most real entities uh, of the physical world. A cat, uh, a dog, uh, a clump of gold, those, are, those can be the real things. And even though those things are made up of other substances or come into being from other substances and have parts, those are real things that have come into being uh, and will go out of being. Uh, he's able to solve the, the problem that, that actually was introduced by the philosopher Parmenides about how could change even be possible. And he is able to do that by pointing out that all things, all physical things at least, are, are made up of matter and substantial form. By introducing those concepts or pointing out those, those things, uh, he's able to explain how one thing turns into another. He also is able to explain what we mean by the nature of a thing and point out that that that, that the nature of a thing is some inner principle that makes it move the way it does, change and rest the way, the way it does because of the kind of thing it is. Uh, this idea that things have natures, I think, is a very essential one for our students to, to grasp. Uh, without the idea of natures and that natures exist not just on the atomic level, but they exist on the level that we experience the world at. This, uh, uh, this, is, essential. this is essential for things like ethics. Right? You can't have much of an ethics without the idea that there is a human nature. There are humans, there is a human nature, and that means there's a certain way that we are supposed to act. Um, so uh, the third part there is relying on uh, natures, things with natures also have causes, final causes. So there's a, there's a way that things are supposed to tend towards just by the nature of what kind of thing they are. Pope St. John Paul II wrote, 
quote, Christians will inevitably assimilate the prevailing ideas about the world, and today these are deeply shaped by science. The only question is whether they will do this critically or unreflectively, with depth and nuance, or with a shallowness that debases the gospel and leaves us ashamed before history, close quote. Students at Wyoming Catholic College are encouraged to engage critically with science, developing depth and nuance that honors the gospel, honors our creator, and sets them in the great Catholic tradition of science. For Wyoming Catholic College, this is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz.